0: Well, I hope when you think of me, you don't think of, like, Forrest Gump, and, um, you know, you see this a big blank there, and what's the text and title, and you may be thinking that uh, his sermons are like a box of chocolates, and you never know what you're going to get, but uh, just to, I just did poorly communicate uh, this week, uh, which is to say to not really communicate, so I apologize for that, but uh, there is a text, and so please turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Okay. All right, uh, we'll be looking uh, just at a few verses at the end of chapter 2, verses 17 through 20. Verses 17 through 20. And it may seem a little isolated, but I'll try and tie it into the narrative of the, or the, the rest of the book and how it fits in. But let's look at these words. But since we were are our glory and joy. May God bless now not only the reading of His Word, but its preaching as well. Um, I've, the title for the sermon today is uh, Face-to-Face Ministry, and I think you can see that, how that stands out there in verse 17, where Paul says, We endeavored uh, the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face-to-face. Or literally in Greek, we endeavored the more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Now, as we consider this sort of face-to-face ministry, we're going to see two aspects, each of of which I think are uh, definitely there, different concerns in these uh, several verses. First of all, we'll see the face-to-face communion uh, that is had with others. Particularly, we're going to see that through the minister of the word, Paul, in in the case to the Thessalonians, but other ministers of the words, that sort of face-to-face communion with each other. But then, uh, secondly, we will see that there is face-to-face communion with the Lord. And the thought here is not to say that one thing is simply laid aside the other, but there's a connection. And if you've, I think I preached uh, verses nine and ten of chapter one before here, and how behind Paul's thinking, even in chapter one, where he speaks about, uh, or bubbling up behind all his words, is this deep longing, like the psalmist says, "One thing I have desired, uh, to be in God's temple and to inquire of Him and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord," and that hope comes to Paul as well as he thinks about being in. God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ and before God in His throne in chapter 1. And um, and then in verse 9, that it is the Christian life, at the heart of the Christian life, to wait for God's Son from heaven, to wait for that great appearing of the Lord where we will have a face-to-face communion with Him. And so uh, we'll see how these things connect as we work our way on. And it's not just a... Uh, just as individuals we long to see the Lord's face. But as we long for the whole church together to inquire of the Lord and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. So let's look at these two themes, face-to-face communion with others and face-to-face communion with the Lord. Well, first of all, we'll consider how uh, Paul is thinking about others. Uh, why does he so deeply long for face-to-face communion with the Thessalonians? Well. Verse 17 provides the answer straight away. He says, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, we were torn away. That is really quite strong language that Paul is using. He and Silvanus and Timothy, who are spoken of as the voices, though Paul is certainly the principal voice here, uh, they were ministering in Thessalonica. We read about that in Acts chapter 17, right? And they were going along, uh, Paul ministering there for several months, uh, and they simply did not take their leave from the Thessalonians. They were torn away, as it were, as hostile forces arose. You'll remember uh, from Acts 17, uh, the Jews really became quite jealous, and they stirred up the Gentile authorities to provoke them to say that uh, they are following uh, some other king, uh, some Jesus, and we need to deal with these people. And so, so Paul speaks of their being torn away. Um, and really, it's that thought that uh, caused him great anxiety over and over again. Uh, why does that cause him anxiety? He's being torn away. Well, um, the answer is quite simple. The relationship between Christians is different than the relationship between, that we have with any other Group or people or individuals in any society we find ourselves in on earth. Uh, When it comes to Christians, we become brothers and sisters. We become become participants in a new family. Uh, This familial language, this familial status, really saturates 1 Thessalonians. In fact, we can too easily pass over what Paul says in verse 17 where he addresses them as brothers his brothers and sisters in the Lord there in Thessalonica. But the familial relationship that Paul has with them as brothers, uh, well, that familial relationship goes actually much deeper than being just brother or sister. Because we find out earlier in chapter 2, verse 13, that Paul, you, and this is the, the great place, First Thessalonians has powerful doctrine on preaching and what preaching is. And so in verse 13, uh, we hear, uh, Paul says, We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Sometimes that verse, I think, is misused. Um, there are passages, for example, like Second uh, Timothy 3.16, which speak about the doctrine of inspiration of the scriptures, that is not one, this is not one of them. This is not, you receive the word of God written, but you receive the word of God which you heard. And that brings about the idea that in preaching, another. this is also found in Romans 10, Romans 10, 16, the, the voice of God himself is conveyed, not only through the reading, but the preaching of the word in such a way that in chapter 3, verse 2, Paul goes so far as to say, and we almost think, Paul, are you you for sure? He says that he and Timothy are God's co-workers, that they participate in this process of of bringing the Lord's word to his people so that through that co-working, as it were, and God speaking through the instruments of ministers, people are brought to life. And so it's because of that he's not just a a brother. He actually, in chapter 2, refers to himself as their mother. Look in chapter two, verse seven, he says that he is was a nursing mother, this one who brings them the word of God, co-working with God so that they can be born to new life. In verse 11, he says that he was their father. Actually, there's another place, it's kind of obscured by the ESV, but he refers to himself as an, as an infant among them. So he's a brother, he's a father, he's a mother, he's an infant, it's quite unique. <laughs> it's all portrayed here. Um, and this mother father language is very important because the word that Paul uses in verse seventeen for torn away, I'll give you the Greek. It's you know it's not it's not necessary to always give you Greek, but in this instance I think it's helpful. Uh, just listen. You won't know. You probably don't know Greek. Maybe a few do, but uh, it's off orphan idzo off orphan And the key word there would be orphan. <laughs> and so literally the word is. He was orphaned from them. He it was, it, it was orphaned of them as their father and his mother. I distinctly remember the first time I was in a public place and could not locate my children. And you, think, you know what happened? Yeah, you, you know. Um, I was very distressed. I was very anxious. And you know, my heart's beating and my breathing picks up because you become very worried. And that is uh, sort of a thought here behind the Apostle Paul's uh, demeanor, his concern. He was, he was very concerned about his children back there in Thessalonica. Now, notice that this attempt to tear Paul from the Thessalonians, it was not ultimately successful, was it? Uh, Paul says in verse 17 that they were torn away in person, but not in in heart, in person, but not in heart. And in Greek, it literally says that they were torn away, uh, this is interesting, in face. It um, doesn't translate, translate so well into English, it says torn away in face. And so that's why it says they were torn away in person. But that really actually kind of emphasizes the the face-to-face, as it were, dimension of things here. Um, so even even being not no longer... It, Connected in a face to face way that could not sever the connection between Paul and these people. Why? Uh, because, because it is a matter of the heart. Uh, for Christians, we receive new hearts. Our hearts are irrevocably bound to Jesus Christ, and therefore we are bound in heart, as it were, to each other. Likewise, Paul says in verse 17 that they were torn away for a short time, for a short time. Uh, It's interesting, the language there of uh, for a short time in Greek is literally something like uh, for the time of an hour. Uh, We'll come back to that idea of being separated uh, perhaps only for an hour a little later. Now, to the contrary of what others had been saying, you get the sense that, uh, especially earlier in chapter 2, that there were people in Thessalonica, whether outside of the church or within the church, who were saying, um, you know, that... uh, that Paul uh, was not that interested in them and so he says in verse 18 that he had tried over and over and over again to come to them but what was the problem now, the problem is verse 18 tells us uh, apparently well it was it was satan uh, satan hindered us uh, well what does that mean well actually it's really quite impossible, as far as I know. If you know, you can tell me later to know what the actual specifics were, the, the mechanics of how Satan hindered them from coming. Um, but but uh, we know this. We know that that even though Satan is allowed by God to have a certain free agency, as it were, that always takes place under God's sovereign rule and direction. It's not as if, you know... There's a yin and yang, and, and God is the yin or the yang, whichever one you want, and Satan's the other sort of dueling forces. That's, that's not at all uh, what Christianity uh, tells us. Moreover, uh, it's really more like what we find in Acts, excuse me, yes, Acts chapter 2. Think of Acts chapter 2. There in his Pentecost sermon, Peter speaks about, you know, think about Hitler, you know, or, or Stalin or Pol Pot or one of these horrible genocidal people and all the evil that they did. All the evil that they did was not equivalent to what happened in Jerusalem when, according to Peter, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Very indicting. The greatest act of evil in the world was the crucifixion of the Lord of glory. But Paul says that happened as he was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Uh, You could say that was the most satanic act in history. But it was simultaneously the greatest act of God (laughs) in history. And so whatever Satan is doing to try and thwart the plans of God, uh, that never actually actually succeeds. And in fact, uh, Satan ends up doing the very bidding of God in all of his rebellion. The thing that we can take away from Satan hindering us is that across the ages, the Old Testament and the New Testament, Satan's plan is to divide God's people. Uh, He hates the gospel. He hates the ministry of the word and preaching and and, and, and any sort of pastoral care. And so he would do all that he can to separate especially leaders uh, and tank leaders' ministries uh, from the people that they serve and divide the people of God through all kinds of mischief that he would sow. And so please take great care to think about any hindrances uh, to the glorious ministry of the gospel that might present itself even here. Um, Whatever would divide, uh, whatever would tear us apart from one another is not ultimately of the Lord, uh, but it is of the evil one. We must seek the Lord's strength to overcome those things in his wisdom. Well, we've seen the face-to-face communion is how it's intended for God's people, Paul wanted to come in a face-to-face way and see the Thessalonians, but he was prevented, he was hindered by Satan. Actually, we'll see, uh, you, you can read on in chapter 3 to see that, that the, the way in which God overcame that, right? Paul couldn't come, but uh, he says, but when we could bear it no longer, when I could bear it no longer, I sent Timothy, and Timothy begins to take over for what Paul was doing, um, So, as we as we understand the nature of that face-to-face communion, it kind of helps us. You know, Paul certainly wasn't thinking about this kind of problem. He didn't he didn't have the technology that we have today. But um, you know, this kind of thing could be all right in a missionary setting or kind of occasional things where it's absolutely necessary. But for 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 a, a face to be you know beamed in on a screen or something, and for that for, for that. To be the only thing that God's people have, and not true face-to-face communion and involvement, is not ult- not ultimately healthy. It's not what God intended. Not a celebrity pastor uh, beamed in, uh, and then and he never actually gets to engage with people. Um, so God wants ministers, and I would even dare say uh, ruling elders and deacons and. Uh, Lord willing, those who will be raised up in this place to engage in that kind of face-to-face ministry with one another, and indeed, wants the whole church to have that communion, that closeness to one another. The Lord is not just concerned with producing believers; He is concerned about building churches with fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters. Well, let's now look behind what stands. Uh, what stands behind that? call to -to face-to-face ministry with one another, it is really, it is to say this, it is the longed for, hoped for face-to-face communion with the Lord himself. And we see that really brought out in verse 19. Paul asks the question, for what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before, notice this idea before is in the presence of and at his coming, before our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? And he answers that question with another question, right? He says, is it not you? Well, maybe you're thinking, well, I don't know. Is it it us? I don't know. (laughs) But if you have any doubt, you just read on to verse 20, and he gives you the answer to that rhetorical question. He says, yes, for you are our glory and joy. Unequivocally, then, the saints of the Lord Jesus are Paul's glory and joy, his crown of boasting, as it were, before the Lord at his coming. But what in the world does he mean by that? Well, um, we'll see how this is expressed really in verse um, 19 in a moment, but let me pan out for a moment to get something of a bigger bigger, biblical picture. You see, Paul, along with the entire uh, message of the Bible, holds that the ultimate hope The blessing for a believer, as I've said before, is to gaze upon the face of the living and true God Uh, that will always be, of course, mediated through the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll never have a bare beholding of God's essence, but to gaze on God through Christ by faith. Paul sets forth that idea himself uh, in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And listen to this. I even found a new aspect of this this afternoon that I had not seen before. Uh, listen to this. He says, And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Now, that's the idea. He's saying that we will see God, but he's also saying we've already, we already with unveiled face are gazing upon the, uh, the, the glory of the Lord being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Isn't that glorious? So we're, we're waiting for something to be consummated, which has begun. But what I saw as well is, again, this brings out the corporate nature. of. It. He doesn't say, I am doing it. He says, we all, we all, not with unveiled faces, but with unveiled face. Isn't that interesting? He views the church as, you know, I think of, um, what, what is the, uh, the, uh, the, the hymn, the church is one foundation, until her longing eyes are blessed, and the church uh, victorious shall be the church at rest. So the, it's almost with, with one face, as it were, and one set of eyes, the bride of Christ is awaiting to gaze upon the beauty of her husband. And so with that in view, you can go back to uh, Thessalonians, this time think of 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 1.9, we're again, we're again kind of the big picture, but zeroing back in on Thessalonians. And here Paul speaks of the face-to-face communion that believers are to have with their God, but in a negative way, <laughs> because he's talking about the fact that unbelievers will never gain the blessings of God's face. Listen to what he says in 2 Thessalonians 1.9. He says, They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction, away." From the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. In Greek, it literally says, uh, not away from the presence of the Lord, but away from the face of the Lord. The greatest hope and goal of the Christian is, as the larger catechism says, larger catechism 86, to quote, to quote, behold the face of God in light and glory. Now back to verse 19. Verse 19, we, we're going to see how uh, this ties into what Paul is saying. He says in verse 19 again, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. What does he mean? Here's what he means. Christ's coming, as it's specifically brought into view in verse 19, is as a, as a kind of being before the Lord. There Paul expresses the idea that he and the rest of God's people are going to one day stand before the Lord forever together, together. And at that time, Paul will have the incomparable joy and exaltation of seeing that those to whom he has ministered, they have come to their great reward. They are enjoying now their full inheritance. What is it? It's the Lord himself. Think about the end of 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, remember, your labors are not in vain. Uh, Pastors need to hear that. Leaders in the church particularly because so often we think that maybe my labors are in vain. I don't see what's going on here. I don't see much at all sometimes. I've often asked myself, what am I doing? doing (laughs) what what is my job what what is my you know job description if you want to call it that and the best i've come up with and i think this passage truly validates it is in one sense you can boil it down that my job as a pastor is to get god's people ready to be with him to get god's people ready to be with him isn't that what paul is he's saying And you, yes, you will be there. You will be there gazing upon the beauty of the Lord. That will be a time of great joy and exultation, a crown of boasting, as it were. Um, Now, for me, what a joy it will be to see the members of the church I minister to, Providence OPC, standing before the Lord in full perfected communion with Him one day, free of sin and struggle and suffering. And to some degree, Lord willing, you as well i mean maybe there will be another pastor who will come uh but uh, i will have joy in seeing you all as well in that kind of way this is not a in any way a kind of works righteousness uh nor is it saying that paul should get the credit for these things or i will get the credit for these things or any minister will get the credit for these things but it's certainly saying that there is a incomparable joy i mean unbelievable joy that should fuel ministers and leaders in the church in the hard times, the hard times, that one day these will stand before the Lord, perfected in face-to-face communion. It will not get any better than that. And so leaders and everyone, really, uh, arm yourself with that truth. Let it fuel you and encourage you and guide you in your labors in the church. Whatever hardships you have in ministering to people, will they not be as light and momentary afflictions when we stand before the Lord and see Him together, when we all with unveiled face stand there beholding the glory of the Lord. In a unique way, uh, Paul's ministry to the Thessalonians mirrored the ministry of Jesus Christ. This actually comes up in a few of his epistles, but I think we see it here as well. Paul, uh, there was another one who was torn away, as it were, from his people and the disciples, of course lamented that very much when Christ was taken away. But that time away from the face-to-face communion with our Lord will be, as it were, I think, uh, but, but a short time. Even, uh, but as in comparison to an hour, uh, even though it may be thousands of years, it will be like an hour in comparison to the eternal weight of glory. It's interesting. Um, there's actually no indication in the book of Acts that as far as I can tell, you, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but that Paul ever did make it back to Thessalonica after this. Uh, Maybe he was in fact thinking of that eternal connection whether it be on earth a few weeks or days or whatever uh, it is but an hour of time that we might be separated from one another and our brothers and sisters and loved ones as it were uh, as the Bible says their bodies are simply sleeping. Well 1 Thessalonians begins and ends with this idea of being brought into a perfected face-to-face communion with the triune God through Christ. Let me simply close by reading you two passages at the beginning and end of the book that encourage you in this hope. Again, I alluded to this already. 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10, Uh, Paul says this. He speaks about how the Thessalonians turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. That's a, that's a tremendously hopeful thing. Sometimes the book of First Thessalonians is thought of as just negative, the day of the Lord, judgment. But it's a hopeful thing. Yes, there will be judgment. But it will be a, wait, is there, there's a waiting for the Lord's Son from heaven. And we see this also at the close, or at least toward the end, chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. Paul says this. This is so beautiful. Uh, just, just think about this. He says, uh, chapter 4, verses 17 and 18, when Christ comes back, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And listen, there's are, there are no more beautiful words than this. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So there is great room for encouragement here, right? We're pressing towards that glorious hope that when Christ comes back, we will indeed behold Him face to face. We will forever be with the Lord. Amen.